Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. A divorce can put a strain on the couple's financial situation. Between lawyers, divisions of assets, and court fees, ending a marriage can be an expensive endeavor. On December 22, 1997, a woman ready to get a divorce was murdered in a robbery gone wrong before she even got the chance. But was there more to her death than just a random ransacking? So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the early morning hours of December 22, 1997, William Richard Stevens, accompanied by his son and 15-year-old Sean Austin, left his trailer while his wife and mother-in-law were still inside asleep and went off to a job site about 90 miles away in New Jacksonville, Tennessee. After they arrived, William decided that the site was too muddy to work on, so they left and returned to their home in Davidson County around 8.30 a.m. When he walked up to the door, William noticed it was slightly ajar. Concerned, he stepped inside to find destruction. The Christmas tree was lying on its side, and items in the house were thrown all around. Realizing there had been an intruder in his home, he looked towards the room where he left his wife asleep to see her lying across the bed. According to his later statements, William knew at that moment that his wife and mother-in-law were dead, and instead of checking on them, ran out with his son to call police. When officers arrived, they found that both 45-year-old Sandy Stevens and her 75-year-old mother, Myrtle Wilson, were lying face down on their beds. Myrtle's nightgown had been pulled above her waist, underwear lying on the floor nearby, and had been both stabbed and strangled to death. Her stab wounds were mostly superficial, but did result in massive blood loss. Sandy was completely nude and lying with her legs spread open. She died from ligature strangulation, and because of the blood found on her knees, investigators surmised that the unknown intruder killed her mother first. Around Sandy's body were pornographic magazines, as well as an album of her nude photos that were presumably taken by her husband. Now certain that this was a murder scene, the Metro Police began sailing off the trailer and taking a closer look. What they noticed almost immediately was that the trailer showed no signs of forced entry and the disarray inside almost seemed staged. 
The dresser drawers were pulled open, but nothing inside was disturbed. Clothes were taken out of the closet and dumped on the floor while still on their hangers. The decorated Christmas tree had no broken ornaments, almost as if it was carefully placed on its side, and the unwrapped Christmas presents were left completely untouched. Shortly after arriving at the now incredibly suspicious scene, police began canvassing the trailer park and knocking on doors to see if anyone living nearby had seen or heard anything. One of the doors they knocked on belonged to 18-year-old Corey Milliken. As police chatted with the young boy, one noticed small blood spots on his shirt, dark residue under his nails, and fresh gouge marks on his cheek and wrists. He was turned over to detectives for further questioning. The search at the Stevens' home continued, and an officer noticed that the underpinning of a nearby trailer seemed to be pulled loose. When he looked under it, he found a green canvas bag containing a bloodstained shirt, several pieces of jewelry, loose pills, and a 35-millimeter camera. With more and more evidence piling up and some serious questioning happening at the police station, Corey Milliken finally broke down and confessed to murdering Sandy Stevens and Myrtle Wilson. But he wasn't alone in his crime. According to Corey's story, William Stevens paid him $5,000 to end the life of his wife and mother-in-law. As the confession continued, the following story unfolded. Corey Milliken and his younger brother, Sean Austin, had known William Stevens for about a year prior to the murder and had worked some odd jobs around the trailer park with him. They grew close to the man and Corey started spending a lot of his free time at the Stevens' home. Then, in the fall of 1997, William came to the brothers with a strange request. He asked them if they would help him kill his wife. He told them to get a rifle and to shoot her as she came out of her trailer, and that, with her dead, he would get full custody of his nine-year-old son, her car, her trailer, and her land. Then, around Thanksgiving of that year, William came to them yet again with a new target in mind. He offered them $2,500 apiece in exchange for murdering not just his current wife, but her mother, Myrtle. According to William, he and Sandy were having some problems, and he feared that if Sandy petitioned for divorce, he would be financially ruined. But if she and her mother died, he would get a large insurance payout and he would be able to sell their things to get some extra cash. The plan was simple. William would get himself and his son out of the house. Austin would act as lookout, and Corey would do the killing. He told the boys to get a gun with a silencer, and if they couldn't find one, to use a knife. Sean would eventually back out of the original plan, but did say he would be William's alibi for no payment. The entire job and the full $5,000 went to Corey Milliken. William planned the murder in his mind perfectly, and all but handed the weapon to Corey. He told him to kill Myrtle first because his wife would not hear it over the fan she kept in her room, and that he would leave the door unlocked and the alarm off so he could get inside with no problems, even handing him a house key just in case. He also told the boy to make the house look destroyed, made a list of items he was to steal and how to dispose of them and the weapon, and walked him through the trailer showing him the items he wanted to remain untouched, like his TV and his Star Trek collection. Once the plan was complete and the police showed up asking questions, Sean Austin was supposed to supply the alibi about going to Jacksonville for work and how he saw Sandy wave them off as they drove away. The plan was set in motion for the 22nd because William knew he would have his son that day and he would act as a second alibi. 
Except Corey didn't follow one very crucial aspect of William's plan. He told the boys that if any of them were caught, they were all on their own. No snitching. William was arrested and held at the Davidson County Criminal Justice Center for three weeks, where he talked at length to his cellmate, a former police officer and paralegal, about his impending divorce, the financial strain it would put on him, the relationship he had with a teenager who he described as big dumb kid, and how he may have led him to murder his wife. When the trial began, the state presented evidence that not only was William responsible for the women's death, but that he was slowly siphoning money off of his mother-in-law for quite some time prior to the murder. That over just three years, he'd been investing and monitoring her finances, totaling $83,000, and that a month before her murder, she expressed concern to her son that she had less funds in her account than she thought she should have. A closer look at her account found that a check was written in the months before her murder to William for $4,000. The defense, however, worked to make the murder look like it was all Corey's idea and that William had nothing to do with it. They claimed that Corey was sexually infatuated with Sandy and that William had shown Corey some sexually suggestive photos of his wife and told him that Sandy wanted to have sex with both men at the same time. They attempted to prove that Corey was an aggressive man who took out his sexual frustrations and anger at his stepfather, who he had just gotten into a fight with, on Sandy Stevens and Myrtle Wilson. In the end, William Richard Stevens was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death on July 23, 1999. He was sent to Riverbend Maximum Security Prison in Nashville, where he lived on death row for 20 years before dying of natural causes on April 4, 2016, at the age of 60. Corey Milliken is serving a life sentence. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 23rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.